2, 42 to 47. We did a marathon of verses last Sunday. We did 41 verses uh, in Acts 2 last week. So this is a much shorter section. Uh, It's a relatively quick passage to read, but there is a lot to unpack in it and a lot to discuss about it. And so um, I want to just start by reading the six or so verses. We'll just get them all in front of us, and then we'll step back and just kind of talk about what we're seeing there. So Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, this passage is basically the first summary of what the early church, the first church, actually the first local church was doing. This church was in Jerusalem. And we saw last week at the very end of our our passage last week that that the, the number of people who received the word of, of the Lord through Peter's sermon was about 3,000 souls. So this church in Jerusalem has exploded from 120 at the beginning of chapter 2 to 3,000 and some. Uh, that's a rough estimate, right? It's about 3,000 souls, the text says. Um, but this massive church now has just shown up out of seemingly nowhere, just overnight, just boom, exploded in growth. And really that leads to a lot of logistic needs and and things that we're going to see as we unpack this this book throughout the next uh, weeks. But what we're getting here is really just a quick overview of what they did, of what they were about. Um, We're not really getting the specific details on how they did these things, not in, there's a couple of examples here and there, but for the most part, we're just getting kind of this, these general summaries of what they did as a church in the early days of their existence in Jerusalem. And I actually think that the general overview here is an intentional one. I don't think that Luke's goal, as Luke writes this down for us, is to give us all of the specific Uh, and like, here's exactly how they did this and exactly how they did that kind of thing. Because uh, as we're going to see, the point of Acts is that the gospel message spreads out from Jerusalem. It doesn't stay in Jerusalem. It moves to Judea and then Samaria and then outward to the ends of the earth. That's the whole trajectory of the book of Acts. It's the whole trajectory of, of Christ's mission in the world. And so it wouldn't make a lot of sense if, if we're here to be instructed on what the church should be based off what the church was in its earliest form, uh, to have all of the ins and outs and specifics isn't helpful because the scriptures, or rather the church is going to spread out geographically. It's going to spread out in terms of time, uh, just in terms of like moving forward in time. And so 
What we're seeing here, though, is a massively helpful passage to gauge the health of a, of a local church, no matter where it is. These broad principles of what the church in Jerusalem were committed to serve as a blueprint or maybe a, a vital sign checklist or some way of us assessing the situation for any healthy local church. Whether that church is in Jerusalem in the first century or Anago in the 21st century, or whether that's in Zimbabwe or London or Guatemala or anywhere else. The, ex the specific expression of these things may look different and probably will look different depending on when we live in history, where we live in the world. But the question is, is are the things, the, the main indicators, the main signposts, the main vital signs here, are those present? Are they maturing? Are they growing? Are they improving? Are we pressing towards these things? And that is really what this passage helps us see. It shows us by the good example of the early church what our churches should be concerned about as well. And so I think that um, as we work through this passage, I, I'm going to just hit some of the highlights. We're really going to look at four main markers of a healthy local church. And we're going to see how they were devoted to these four things. And maybe you could, we could split hairs and probably say there's more than four. Um, actually, I, I know there's more than four that we could, we could really hone in on. But I think four broad categories come out here at, at the very least. And so I'm going to just hone in on that. And we've only got the time we've got. So we're going we're gonna to do our best with it. And, and honestly, this could be like four or five different sermon series all on their own, right? Every one of the things we're going to see, we've actually done a sermon series, I think, on each of these markers over the years. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to do a quick flyover by comparison to a deep dive uh, if we were to take each of these markers and really flesh them out. So bear with me if, I'm, if I don't say all the things I should say or, or don't say all the things you want me to say, you can do it next time, okay? I, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta do what I gotta do in, in the time we have. And so I'm gonna do my best with it. But what I wanna do is I wanna see us um, work through these markers of a healthy church. And then I'm just gonna give you my, my honest assessment of where I think we are um, in each of these. And I think there's absolutely room to grow in all of them, in, as every church is going to have room to grow in all of them. But, but let's, just, let's just start looking at them. Verse 42, um, three out of the four are mentioned in verse 42. So we'll just read the first one and then we'll stop and talk. It says, and they devoted themselves, the, this, this group of 3,000 souls devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing that this church was committing to, to be about and to find as one of the key central issues in their church. What we would call this today, the way we would phrase this, is that they were devoted to God's word. The disciples uh, were devoted to hearing the apostles, the 12 apostles, teach God's word. What did they teach? Well, of course, they taught the Old Testament scriptures because that's the scriptures they had. They didn't have the whole New Testament. They were living the New Testament. This wasn't all written down yet. 
And so they didn't have any, any of Paul's letters. Not, not a single one was written yet. None of the gospels had been written down. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, none of them had been written down in any formal way yet. These guys are just about roughly 50 days since Jesus was ascended into heaven. So not, not a real long amount of time has passed here. So the apostles are teaching their Old Testaments for sure. We saw that in being modeled in, in the early part of Acts 2 where Paul, excuse me, Peter is uh, teaching through the Psalms. Um, but they were also probably teaching the things that Jesus had taught them right? They, they all, these 12 guys who were teaching the scriptures were teaching uh, what they learned from Jesus firsthand. And so you're starting to get some instruction that way as well. But today we actually have a much, uh, I guess, a better position than they do because we have the fullness of scripture. We have it all written down. We have it all finalized. It's, our, it's called our Bibles. That's what we call it, right? The Bible is God's word from start to finish. And that is the word of God. There's nothing to be added to it. There's nothing we should subtract from it. It is the scriptures that God wants us to have. And we're privileged in that regard that we have the full counsel of God. Um, so as we talk about preaching the Bible or teaching the, the, the word of God, we're teaching the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, and working our way through them. Um, we also have much more access to the Bible than any other generation that's probably ever lived, actually. Um, we have the Bible in our own language, which is a development that happened 500 years ago. Before that, Christians couldn't even read the Bible in the language they spoke. They'd have to learn Hebrew or Greek or Latin. Um, and so we are very privileged to be able to have the Bible in English as we speak English and have it translated in, in that regard. We have it accessible digitally and in print. And so it's just an amazing time for us to be alive and amazing for us to have access to God's word, which is unprecedented in human history. <clears throat> but what I want to say on this is that I think <clears throat> this is the most central marker of what a healthy church is. If a church doesn't focus and devote themselves and center themselves on the Bible, on the scriptures, they're never going to be a healthy church. You can't actually be a healthy church if the Bible is not the center of what we teach. And so taking in what God has to say to us is the most important thing we can do to grow as Christians and to grow as a local church together. We need to sit under God's word being preached, which is what we do when we gather together. We need to take it in individually as well as we each pursue the Lord in our own lives. We need to be committed to know the truth and not be swayed by lies. And if I'm going to give an assessment of this, I think that Springbrook Church does fairly well here not perfect. There's not a single thing I would say we do perfectly. But we do love the Bible. We preach the Bible. Um, most of you are probably here because of that, I would guess, if I had to guess. Never done a survey of why you're here, but I would assume that that's, that's up there, right? That you know when you show up, you're not going to just get Pastor Tom riffing about whatever he wants to riff about up here for 20, 30 minutes. Um, 
and nor should you. Like, that would be ridiculous and really dumb. So we go to the Bible, right? You, you, have, you can have assurance that when we approach the word of God, it's going to be in front of you. That's why we encourage you to open your Bibles, to have it in front of you, to follow with us so that you can see what's being said is actually in the book. We're not making stuff up. And of course, you're, you're free to do whatever you want in that regard. But, but it is something we encourage because it's like we want you to have uh, your face in God's word and see that it's there. And of course, you're going to hear human beings you know, and me and Chris and whoever else like We'll have our, our slant on things, and I get that. And so you, you can throw away the bad and keep the good, right? You don't, you, we all have to recognize that. But fundamentally, we are pursuing the scriptures. We do that on Sunday. We want to grow deeply in it. But we also do that in everything we do. Everything we do. In Kids Club, we are using a tool called a catechism, but a catechism is just a question and answer tool that the church has used for a thousand years or more. And it's just, you ask a question and you help the kids answer that question based off biblical truth and you point them to the scriptures to show why that's the answer to the question. So every Tuesday night that we have Kids Club, we're doing that with our young kids from second grade to sixth grade, and we're showing them the scriptures by helping them understand it in the question-answer form. We have student ministry for seventh to twelfth grade, and, and Pastor Chris does a great job at, at taking them to the Bible. They're going through the Gospel of Mark right now, through verse by verse through it in youth group. That's an amazing thing. We have Springbrook seminars periodically, like you just heard, we're starting one on Thursday. Uh, and those are just ways for us to talk about topics or subjects that maybe don't get as much time from the pulpit, but still need to be taught and explained. And so we have these opportunities for you to come and hear about something, a subject matter, and we dig into the scriptures on that issue, right? We, we really love this and we want, we want this church to be driven by the Bible. And so that, that's what we see modeled in the early church. Now, there are different ways to go about this. There are different models for how to do it. But I've just kind of laid out for you what ours is and how we, how we think about it. Okay, so that's the first thing, first marker of a healthy church, and I think the most crucial marker. If that's absent, everything else will be absent too, or at least won't be as healthy as it should be. So verse 42 again, if you got, got your Bible there, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now I'm going to put a pin in that one because we're going to circle back to the fellowship in, in a little bit. It comes back around later in the paragraph. So the fellowship, pause for the second there, and then to the breaking of bread. Now that's probably a reference to the Lord's Supper, uh, which we practice weekly here just as a, Again, it's a conviction thing for us. We don't, we don't think that we're doing it better than other people. Some churches practice it once a month. That's fine. There's no prescription there in the scriptures. But we do practice the Lord's Supper each week as we gather on Sunday mornings because it reminds us of the gospel. It puts in front of us the work of Christ for our sins. I'm not going to spend a lot else time on that. I'm just going just gonna to say that as a thing. And then the, the fourth thing that's mentioned here is, and the prayers. So that's the one I want to talk about for now. It's like we've talked about the devotion to the scriptures. We're going to talk about devotion to prayer here, and then we'll come back to the fellowship issue in a little bit. 
But, but the second marker we're seeing, at least as I've broken it down, is the devotion of the early church to prayer. And the beautiful thing about the book of Acts is that it's going to take us to some several passages where we get to do deeper dives on, these, on all of these subjects um, as it comes back around in the book. And so in just a couple weeks, we're going to really see a, a great passage where I can do a little more instruction on prayer from the passage in Acts uh, chapter 4. But for now, let me just speak to what's happening here. Um, if the word of God is how we hear from him, right? God's word, intaking God's word is how we hear from God. And that is the most important thing we can do, right? We need to be slow to speak and quick to hear, right? We should hear God as the primary thing. But prayer is how we talk to God. It's how we respond in expressing our hearts to him, asking him for help, bringing our cares to him, bringing forward to him the needs of the church. And what we're seeing in this is the early Christians devoted themselves to prayer. We're going to see a very clear example of that in, in chapter 4. But, but what we're really seeing here is that prayer exists in two forms. And this is popping now for some reason. Don't know why. Um, prayer exists in two forms, right? There's a private prayer life. There's a prayer life that involves our own individual prayers. And there's public prayer life where we gather with other believers and we pray together. Now, um, I think it's safe to assume in this passage that both of these things are in view, that both of these things are probably uh, mentioned in the prayers, um, this kind of general category. But clearly we see modeled in the scriptures and modeled in the book of Acts in particular, the, the, the need for corporate prayer or public prayer together. And, and so we're seeing the Christians gather for worship and gather for prayer. Now that is something I think as I'm assessing our church that we can continue to grow in for sure. This is not a strong suit, I don't think, at least on the public prayer side of it. The individual private prayer side, I think, is probably healthier than the gathering side of it. But, but I, here's what I want you to know. We are trying to make progress here. We are, we are offering more and more opportunities for this. Um, Pastor Chris didn't mention them in the announcements because of all the announcements we had. But we've got now three opportunities each week where people can gather together in prayer. If this is something that you want to fit into your life and incorporate into your, your church community. We have the, probably the easiest one for all of you to come to is going to be Sunday morning at about 9 a.m. And there's a group of, of folks that gather together. It's open to all. Any of you guys can come. 9 a.m., about an hour before church starts, a gathering happens where they pray for the needs of the church and for one another and for whatever else may be going on. And so that's an easy one. If you're coming to church anyways at 10-ish, uh, you can go at 9-ish and, and pray with some other folks in the church. But, but we also offer, Pastor Chris is leading a couple of other prayer meetings throughout the week. One is Wednesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. So for all you guys who want to get to work, uh, you know, at 8 or 9, come. Each of these are about 45 minutes long. They're not going to take your whole day. Um, 
but, but you can come on Wednesday mornings if before work works well for your schedule or Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. is also offered. And so again, I'm not saying that you have to go to all of those, um, but I would encourage you to go to what you can go to. We, we see the, 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 the goodness of this and we see the encouragement that comes out of these times. And so obviously we can grow in that. And I think the truth is that Springbrook can grow in that and every church in America can grow in that. that is, this is not a strong point, I don't think, in our culture. Um, and so we, we may not like be the ones that do it perfectly. We never will be probably. But we're, we're offering the opportunities. And I just cons- can help, hope that you would consider how you can plug in to those. Okay. So marker one is the devotion to God's word. Marker two is devotion to prayer. Let's get to marker three, looking at verse 43 through 45. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so this is an amazing thing. We're seeing an amazing marker of the church in this, and it is a a devotion to generous living, a devotion to generosity. What we're seeing here is a willingness of the early Christians to be willing to sacrifice what they have for the sake of others. And again, we're going to deal with this much, much more specifically again at the end of chapter four and into chapter five, we see where this actually starts to go very wrong in the first church. We can sometimes read this passage and go, everything was just perfect in the first century. It was not. It was not perfect. We're getting a summary of what was happening. We aren't getting all the specifics of how it went, but we see it really go off the rails on this issue at least on the generosity piece, it starts to get really crazy in chapter five. We also know that the things in the first century Christians were not perfect because the entire reason we have a New Testament is because Paul was writing letters to churches that were really messy. Okay, so let's be encouraged in this. We're not perfect. They weren't perfect either. We have room to grow. They had room to grow. But what we are seeing in this marker of generosity is their willingness to give to the needs of others. I think there's, there's some misconceptions about this verse and some have suggested it's a form of communism or something. That's not what's happening because it, to be communism, it would have to be a, a dictate from the government or from the leadership that everyone must do this. That's what makes communism work in theory, right? It's, it's this forced reality that you're living in and, you're, and nothing you have is yours and everything belongs to the government and it, dis, and it disperses from there. That's not what's happening. What we're seeing is a willingness, a heart change in people's lives to say, you know, everything I have ultimately belongs to the Lord. Everything he's given me is from him so I can be free to give away. And so he He's, they say they, they had all things in common. What was theirs was others. They were willing to share. They were selling their possessions so that they had money to give to those in need. But they still owned things. They owned homes. We see that in just the next couple 
of verses. They're not giving away everything and living in some scary commune, you know, in the, in the country somewhere. And, and that, that's not what's happening. We're seeing generous living. And I think that the, the church today will look differently than this because we're not living in first century Israel. But we are still in need of generosity in the church, right? People in the church still come on hard times. People in the church still fall into struggles. Financial burdens can, can be pretty heavy for some. And, and so what we've done in the past, and we've never broadcast this very, very much because it's not something we, we don't want to embarrass anyone. We want to maintain some dignity and privacy in people's lives. But when a need does come up to us as, a, as the elders of the church, we discuss our ability to help, and then we rally people together. And normally what I do or what we've done is we'll, we'll send text messages out and we'll just ask people to contribute as they can if they want we say no pressure, but there's someone who needs some, some help because of this situation in their life right now. And we try to keep everything anonymous and we try to keep everything quiet as much as we can and just do this. But, but I've seen incredible response to that. Very generous responses to those things. And we are working on, as an elder team, we've, we got it on the docket for our next meeting to talk through a better system to make this work a little more uh, coherently and get more people uh, involved in helping if we, if we need it. And so we'll figure some things out. We have room to grow, but I see a lot of good here in our church. I've seen a lot of folks willing to step in and give above and beyond what they would normally give um, in order to help others in need. And that's a sweet thing. Um, and I think that there's something beautiful about giving, right? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's true. We, f- we all feel that. On, on the more mundane day-to-day side of it, I'll just mention this, and we'll talk more about this when we get to it in chapter 5. Um, so I won't go deep into it. But I, I would just remind you, as you, you already know this, I'm sure, but sometimes it's just good to hear it again, is that in order for the church to operate, there is a need for people to be generous because we don't charge admission. No one would come if we did anyways, right? But we don't charge admission. We're not making you pay for your seat. We're, we're not requiring you to show us how much you make and then we bill you at the end of the month or have membership dues, None of that. This church survives and lives and thrives on the generosity of individual people who feel and believe in their heart that Lord wants them to to support it, right? But there there are obvious things that that we need to uh, have met, right? We have a building. We have actually two buildings, one in White Lake, one here. Those buildings come with costs. We have salaries of staff. We have uh, utilities to pay. We have you know, on and on it goes. Just like your household budget, you've got things that got to get paid. We have things too. So again, I'm not deeply worried about this. I think God has been so great, gracious to us and, has, and the Lord has supported us so, so beautifully. Perhaps this is an area where individually you can assess in your own life if that's something you want to contribute to and, and serve the church in that way. But I'm not here to guilt or shame anyone. I'm very sensitive to that because I think it's been, money in the church is such a sticky thing and it, and it is. And people have been really hurt by it. 
on how heavy-handed leadership has taken it uh, and, and embarrassed people with it. And it's just not, it's not for us, right? I mean, that's just not what we want. But it's important for us to know that there are needs and, and those needs are met 100% only by people being willing to share and give. So take that for what it's worth. Okay, but we're seeing this marker in the early church. We're seeing the willingness to support the individuals in need. And we're going to see, uh, I think, as we work through the book of Acts, more broadly, the people coming together to help support the mission of the church as well. It doesn't really get specific into that in this passage, but we do see that modeled, both in Paul's letters and in uh, the, the rest of Acts. Okay, so I, I told us that we would get into, put, the, put a pen in the fellowship piece. Well, now we're going to come back to that. So look at verse 46 and 47, the first half of 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, so this gets us back to the word fellowship, which we saw in verse 42. Uh, fellowship is a, is a word that basically talks about a, a deep relationship, a meaningful relationship. Not, not a surface level thing, not a Facebook friend thing, which isn't friendship at all, right? We, have, we, we, we need real meaningful relationships. And we're seeing this church in Jerusalem model that really well. And I think in, in, as we see it in the text, there's two main ways that they go about this. One is what, we w- what we'd see is the large gathering of these 3,000 people coming together at the temple. The temple was, because of the time in history where they lived, the temple hadn't been destroyed in Jerusalem by the Romans yet. That happened in AD 70. Um, there was still a central location where 3,000 people could go together and be together. What we would call that today in our modern time would be going to church, coming together as a gathering on a Sunday morning to worship and to fellowship with one another. And, but the second way we see fellowship happening in the early church is in homes, right? We, we see them gathering in their homes, eating food together, breaking bread together, being in each other's houses. This is what today we would call small groups or home groups, or we call them community groups. And, and, and we have these opportunities uh, available for people. And we're getting these community groups up and running again. We did them for many years. We kind of put a pause on them just before COVID and then COVID and all the things. And so we are starting to relaunch these community groups again as an opportunity. Again, not something everyone has to go to, um, don't say you have to be at everything and every time it's open because that can be its own issue. But, but for the opportunity to be there for people to plug into relationships is something we're working on here. And I, I do think that the fellowship piece is something that we do need to shore up. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't know that, I don't know that we've always been bad at this. I think we were pretty good at it at one point. But things have happened in the last few years, as we all know, and it's just kind of kicked everybody in the teeth. And, and I think we're at a point now where the church needs to pivot back to what we know we need to do, which, which is to be in 
fellowship with one another and stop avoiding each other. We were trained for two years to avoid each other. And, and because we were told that our neighbor was going to kill our grandma, you know, and, and there's truth in that. Like, I understand the, the, the need to be careful when things are going around. I'm not saying that that was a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's what we did. And now we've got to realize that things have changed again and we've got to go back to what we know to do. I think that this is a problem that we're seeing not just at Springbrook, but across the board. Um, again, I think because of all the things that have gone on. But what, here's what I want to hone in on. I, th- I think what we're seeing in our day and age is an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. I think all of us feel it to some degree. In fact, there's a small book, about 50 pages, it was just, just released by Crossway, uh, called Why Do I Feel Lonely at Church? So somebody wrote a whole book on this because people feel lonely at church. That's a weird thing. I don't know that we've really ever felt that before. But Pastor uh, Lineman, he, he wrote this book and he, he gives a number of reasons. I'll just read a, a quote from him. He says, first, we're isolated from the relationships we most need. We all have fewer social interactions and less relational connection than previous generations of believers. Let's pause the quote for a second. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot going on societally on this. There was a documentary called Bowling Alone that focused on this, this rise of isolated activity where there were bowling leagues and now everybody just bowls alone, right? And it's like, we're seeing that not just in the church, but across the board. Secondly, we are lonelier than we realize. We likely don't appreciate how much of our spiritual and emotional well-being has been disrupted by loneliness. Third, we feel busy, overwhelmed, and disconnected. We desperately need relationships, but we feel too busy to take the time to form real relationships with others in the church. Okay, pause again. Here's the thing. Um, That hits it exactly on the head with where I think most of us are. As I've talked to most of us, it's been, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And I say it too. We all, we all feel that. But here's the thing, real relationships, if we want to have meaningful relationships, we have to invest the time. Because it takes time to build a friendship. A friendship is something that happens over years, not days or hours, years. And I think most of us have kind of been uh, just just inundated with all these extra things that we, we just don't feel like we can. But if we're going to see progress, we have to. We have to figure out a way. Let me, let me get back to the quote. He says, fourth, the fourth reason is it's harder than it should be to form meaningful friendships. Many of our peers at church are struggling with misunderstood loneliness as well. He goes on to say, if you're finding it hard to make friends, you're not crazy. Friendship is challenging in a society like this, even in the church. But the answer is not to lower your expectations and prepare for loneliness. The answer is to confront the challenge directly, reject the isolation and division of our times, and embrace real, meaningful, face-to-face relationships with imperfect people. By God's grace and intentional steps, we can do this, end quote. Okay. I think that he's got he's onto something here. And I think here's what I'll here's what I'll say. The local church is the 
perfectly poised group to address this. We are exactly built for this. It's literally built in to the DNA of every local church. And yet so many of us are languishing in our loneliness. And, and I just, I don't think that the answer to this is complicated. I think it's simply, we need to get back to doing what we already know we should do. Make time with others a priority in our lives. Find a way to get meaningful connections. And one of the things I love about what Chris is doing here is that he just wants to open the doors to every opportunity to give as many people the opportunity. And that's what we're seeing happen. We have these three times a week prayer meetings. If you go to one of them, you're going to pray. Yeah, that's the primary thing. We're going to study the Bible while we're there. That's true too. But there's also fellowship that happens. The last one I went to, uh, I've had some things come up. I haven't been able to make another one yet. I'm going to get back in it here. The last one I went to, we ended up talking about after the prayer and all the things happened, we were just hanging around. We talked about aliens or something. Are aliens real? Whatever. But those things build friendships and connections. And it's like the silly times we have to just talk about what we're wondering about is good, right? That happens in every avenue, community groups, Uh, If you're a kid or a teenager, we got kids club, youth group. These things are built for that. Or, Or let me suggest it this way. If you feel like you're too busy to commit to something regularly at the church, you can go very, very old school vintage and invite someone out for coffee. Imagine, imagine. It's crazy, right? We used to do that and we can do it again. Invite a family over for dinner. Have them come to your house for a campfire and have some s'mores. It doesn't have to be difficult, but it needs to be intentional. Another thing you could do is to have, if you already have a friend that you've developed some connection with, to invite them to come and hang out with you once a week or twice a month or once a month or once a quarter would be a better, better than nothing. And just come together and sit and talk and read the Bible and pray and encourage each other. We are trying to give every opportunity we can to you, but there's still a place where you can step in and help yourself too. Um, listen, I, I think that the, the church, this church and no church is perfect but we are trying to help do whatever we can to facilitate these opportunities for devotion to God's word, devotion to prayer, devotion to generosity, devotion to one another. But here's the thing. You do actually need to come to stuff if this is going to help you. You, gotta, you, you. you do have to find a way. And I'm not trying to guilt or shame you. You know that's not my heart in this. I've never guilted you at all. Jesus takes all your guilt away, okay? If you feel guilt, bring it to him because it's not my intention to guilt you or shame you, but, but I am advocating for something that, that we all need, and that is the intentionality to, to, to find time for one another and to build relationships. You do need to do something to get there. It, it's, it's not, I hear this a lot because I'm, I'm a pastor, so I hear a lot of it. And, and I've heard people say to me, 
that they're frustrated at the church or frustrated at the church in general. It's not always directed necessarily at us in particular, but just frustration that there's, that, that there's not more friendship in the church. I just don't feel like I'm known. And my first question is always, have you ever been to anything besides the Sunday morning service? Because if you haven't, then you're not going to be known. If you come in and then you leave the second we read the benediction, you can't really expect to be known. You have to prioritize these things as well. Okay, quickly. Oh man, I'm way over time. Here we go. I've got, I got more to say too. Uh, we're going to get here. Let me, let me hone in on this. The, the last half of verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm, I'm not going to take any time to talk about this on my own, but let me read a quote from my favorite pastor in the entire world, Ray Ortland, who just wrote a book um, on this very issue. And here's what he says, and I'm just going to wrap it up with this. He says, Luke's, talking about this passage, Luke's focus is significant. He wants us to see first that it's God who does the growing. The growth of the church isn't to be accounted solely for, or by, by solely human agency. God is the one adding to their number. God is the one who awakens people to faith in Christ. But secondly, I suspect Luke wants us to see that the human agency most relevant to this growth is what we've just been describing in the previous verses. The early church's devotion to teaching, prayer, worship, and not least to one another this kind of gospel community with people praying, praising, eating, doing life together and caring for one another in costly ways will be non-ignorable in the world around. This kind of church will grow. Their life together drips with gospel truth. Such a community will inevitably accelerate the church's mission. Love like this cannot fail to deeply affect those who look on. We're told that the church continues to grow day by day. And his point, Ray Ortland's point, is that that was because of what they were committed to. And I think at Springbrook and at every church, but here at Springbrook, we need to revive our mission to love Jesus and love people and help people love Jesus. And that mission is tied directly to our worship and our community to being in relationship with one another and being in relationship to God. We need to get after this. We need to let, let ourselves be vulnerable again. We need to love one another well. We need to be faithful witnesses in our world. And we need to invite others into what God is doing. And I just want to encourage us to think through that this week and consider it as we, as we go about our days. All right, I'm over time, so let me pray. Jesus, um, thank you for, for loving us so well through the gospel. And we pray that you would give us hearts for the things that your church should care about. That you would give us hearts for your word and hearts for prayer and hearts for sharing and contributing and hearts for relationships. 
And we pray that you would grow us in these things. And I ask for your help in it because without you adding to our number and you drawing people to Jesus and you bringing us into relationship with one another, we won't see it happen. So we pray for your help in these things and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.